Please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel from Luke, chapter 2, verses 21 through 39. Jesus is named. After days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus is presented in the temple. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to his, mo his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and should be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The return to Nazareth. When they had finished everything required, required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we close out Black History Month, this will be probably not the last time you hear from this poet, but this is the last one commemorating Black History Month. This is from the book that Richard gave me. The poem is by Brandon Leak, and it's entitled Simple. You ever just sit on your porch and contemplate? 
Listen to how everything around you is moving, how life is really happening. These existential moments make you realize how small you are and how much more there is to the world besides you. But with the time given, what will you do? Yahweh had a specific purpose in mind when Yahweh designed you. A seed doesn't know what it shall become once it's planted. All it knows is circumstances in which it exists, and that in order to survive, it must remain, it must never remain static. It must do what it was created to do and grow. So for the rest of Lent, I'm going to be using this book by Adam Hamilton, which will find a new place in my bookcase on the shelf that holds Adam Hamilton books. <laughs> so it's kind of important. But he uses a phrase repeatedly throughout the book from Hebrew that's Am Ha'arez. Am Ha'arez. And the first time I read that, was in the book of fiction that our book club read, the Book of Longings, and it means people of the land, which he interprets to mean the lowly. So today, we're going to talk about the lowly, the people that we don't see because we don't want to, the people on the fringes. Now, a lot of times we think of these as in categories like the homeless, the incarcerated. We think about it as people who are in a certain box and we can sort of leave them there. But the truth of the matter is that there are a lot of people we don't see or that we see only in our peripheral vision. I would say some of those people are the elderly and the very young. I had somebody ask me once, why do you think little kids shout as much as they do? Why are they noisy? And the real reason is that that's how they are heard. They learn very young. If they don't make noise, people won't pay attention to them kind of a sad commentary. And when I think about my own experience in school, we were all little good children who sat at our desks with our hands folded and were afraid to open our mouths unless we raised our hand and were called upon. I remember my mother getting very, very angry when I was late coming home from school. I was able to walk to school, and it wasn't uphill even with snow, and I was never barefoot. But I was late coming home, and she said, why are you so late? And I said, well, I went to Mrs. Trice's house. Mrs. Trice was my teacher. She was probably about 22. And my mother says, what'd you go to her house for? And I said, Donna Watson and I did her dishes, second grade. My mother was furious. She said, why would you go, to Donna, go with Donna 
to Mrs. Price's house and do her ditches. And she said, I said, it was a treat that we got for being good. I remember standing in her kitchen. I can tell you the house she was in. It was a second floor apartment on Kent Street. And I can remember standing at her sink and trying to be very, very careful that nothing got chipped or broken because this was for our teacher. It was important, and I felt very important that I had been asked to do her dishes. I felt like I had purpose. Problem was that my mother interpreted that to mean that it was time for me to start doing dishes at home. <laughs> so, being seen is not always a positive thing, but it's better than being ignored. I had the privilege of visiting a member of this church this week. Many of you might remember her, Marge Mitchell went to see Marge. She's recently gone on hospice. And she's sitting there, she's perky as all get out. She's one really cool lady. And she had stories. I was there for an hour and a half, so she was, and she did all the talking. And she said to me at one point, she said, I can hardly believe that I've made it to 96 years. I almost fell out of the chair. I could not believe that she was 96 years old. And I had to ask her, I said, can I ask you a very personal question? And she said, of course. And I said, why are you on hospice? Because she didn't seem to me to be sick or have any kind of an ailment. And she said, I'm tired of going to the doctor. I can, I get that, I totally get that. But at 96 years old, she could live for another 10 years, especially with the spunk in that woman. But by being on hospice, she doesn't have to run to the doctor three days a week. And she said, none of the doctors talk to anybody, to each other. And she said, every time you go to one doctor, they prescribe something for you that the other doctors don't know about, but they all interact. And she said, the worst part of going to the doctor when you're 96 years old is they don't listen to you. That broke my heart. But I believe it. I believe that a doctor who will listen to someone who is 96 years old is a rare breed. But these are the people that we need to see. These are the people we need to attend to. When we read this scripture out of Luke, which some people might think is a little bit weird to be reading during Lent because this is early on when Jesus is still a baby, but it points out the older people who were at the temple, who were the people that you went to see, Simeon. Simeon, who held Jesus as an infant and said, hey, I can die now. I have seen the Lord. 
And Anna, a widow, 84, who had been in the temple for years and years and years, also holds the baby and sees something special. The juxtaposition of the very old and the teeny baby are really, that's really cool. I love that. But we forget that we're in those positions now. We can't say, I'm too old to do that, or I'm too old to try. Now, there are physical limitations. I get it. Earlier this week, I was here. There was a banner up here. I said to Joan, it's got to go. We both stood there and looked at it and said, neither one of us is going up on a ladder. <laughs> and yet, it's gone. So it's important to recognize your limits. consign you to a place off to the side. Many times, it's the people with experience that we need to listen to. And many times, it's the younger people who have a different vision that we need to listen to. I'm constantly amazed at how people look at Sunday school and think that the way they learned about Jesus is the way that kids today are going to learn about Jesus. It's not the same. Our kids today aren't going to sit with their hands folded at the table. I grew up on flannel boards. Anybody remember flannel boards? I think if we took a flannel board out right now and put it in front of the kids, They'd laugh at us. What is this? It just won't work anymore. We need to be willing to change as we grow to be sure that other people know what is going on in our heads, but to be sure we're listening to see if there's a way that we can continue to grow that we don't get to a certain point and say, okay, I'm done now. I don't, there's nothing more I can learn. A long time ago, somebody told me, and I can't remember who it was, that you need to learn something new every single day. I like it when it happens at 9 o'clock in the morning, because then you're done. <laughs> Except that that rarely happens. We need to be ready to change. Change is part of life. I think you've probably caught on that I love Richard Rohr. And in one of the books that I'm reading now, The Naked Now, there's a quote that says, change is the road to perfection, and the person that changes the most reaches it first. I can't remember who that was from, but truly, if change is what gets us there, there's a lot of us that are going to be stuck because we're so resistant to change. The church of today is not going to be the church of 20, 30, 50 years ago. 
the church of tomorrow isn't going to look like the church of today. But if we have a message, if we have something to share that's important, we need to be willing to change to get that message out there. There's a movement that I mentioned last week, the spiritual but not religious, SBNRs. I happen to like the SBNR. It just sort of rolls off your tongue. But they aren't anything new. People have been wanting to connect with God without being part of a congregation or a formal worship setting for years, centuries. There's nothing wrong with wanting to seek God outside of a construct that you may not fit in. And how, how many people do we invite to join us? Now, I know you've heard it before. I've said it a lot. We're not invitational. I keep saying it. I'll keep hammering at that. You've got a few more weeks that I can keep poking you with that one. But if you don't invite people, do you really think they're going to come? Do you really think people are going to flock to the church just because it's here? We need to invite people to come and then convince them that this is a place they would like to stay. That this is a place where they can meet people of God and help them to grow in their own understanding of God. But if we stay passive, if we stay passive and are not willing to do the work involved, you won't be here for the future. The church is definitely in jeopardy. I don't know how many of you followed the revival that took place in Kentucky. Anybody follow that besides me? Asbury University, which also has a seminary, highly conservative in Wilmore, Kentucky, had a worship service in their chapel that lasted well over 10 days and spawned several other services that they called a revival. People did not show up just because they were curious. People were invited to show up. I'm not a big fan of the theology of Asbury, but they had thousands of people show up to hear the word of God, not because they just opened the door, but because they invited people. And there were some clips online that showed the church packed with people with their arms up in the air, singing and praying, and that was very moving, even without theology that lines up with mine. And I'd be willing to bet that not everybody had the same identical theology within that effort. There was something amazing about having all those people together, worshiping together, 
spontaneously by invitation. This one told that one that told that one that told that one that everybody came together. What would happen if? Think about that. If we are to grow, we need to reach out to the people who aren't, that aren't here. Who would that be? Would that be the lowly, or are we going to go just for the people who look just like us? Are we going to go to the marginalized? Are we going to find ways to reach the people who are seeking God and really don't know where to look? I had a telephone call last night. Actually, I broke a glass while I was trying to get to the phone because nobody called me all day long. I was so excited. And it was an old friend of mine who is serving a church. And they're having a special music Sunday this morning. And the person who was bringing the music to them comes from another church that I served very, very briefly. But Hugh Jones is quite an organist and musician. And he happens to come from the town that I lived in, raised my kids in. Hugh was talking to Mark, who was the one who called me. And he said, I decided to take this choir on the road to churches that don't have any kind of music. And I was talking to a pastor that was visiting us. And she said, that's a great idea. Go for it. And he said, so I hold her responsible. So Mark called me to tell me that Hugh said that I'm the one that told him to listen to his heart and to step out and answer God's call. My first response to Mark was, I didn't do anything. All I said was, go for it. And he said that's what he needed. Now, Mark and I bumped heads a lot for a long time, and then we ended up being really close friends. But right now, that worship service is probably rocking by having Hugh and his choir there to sing with a group of people who are in the habit of having canned music. I didn't know I was making that kind of an impression on you. I didn't know that saying, go for it, was going to be interpreted as a message from God. I had no idea the impact that that simple thing was to Hugh and to his now music ministry. So speak up, because you never know when God is going to be using you in a very unorthodox way. It doesn't always come out of a moving sermon 
or out of something that is really important. A simple go for it started a whole ministry for Hugh. I'm not taking any credit for that. All the credit goes to God. But I'm grateful that God not only gave me words, but gave Hugh ears to hear. My prayer for you is that you as well are be willing to speak up and to hear what's being said. Amen.